Let's open up Holy Scripture now to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3 in our text is the well-known verses 5 and 6. We'll read the chapter in its entirety. This is the word of God. My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee, bind them about thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine heart. So shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance, and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. And all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. The Lord by wisdom hath founded the earth, by understanding hath he established the heavens. By his knowledge the depths are broken up, and the clouds drop down the dew. My son, let not them depart from thine eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall they be life unto thy soul and grace to thy neck. Then shalt thou walk in thy way safely, and thy foot shall not stumble. When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. For the Lord shall be thy confidence, and shall keep thy foot from being taken. Withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. Say not unto thy neighbor, Go, and come again, and tomorrow I will give, when thou hast it by thee. Devise not evil against thy neighbor, seeing he dwelleth securely by thee. Strive not with a man without cause, if he have done thee no harm. 
Envy thou not the oppressor, and choose none of his ways. For the froward is abomination to the Lord, but his secret is with the righteous. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly. The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. Thus far we read God's word. The text is verses 5 and 6, which I'll reread now. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, these two verses which form our text are very well known to us. If I came into your home, maybe I would find these verses framed, hanging on your wall. In our good Christian schools, our children memorize them. If we have not asked them to memorize them even before they went into school. And that these are on our wall and that we know these by heart is well and good because these are beautiful verses and very rich. And when you think about it, trusting in the Lord, we're coming here to the very bare-bone basics of the Christian life. As you and I go along this path that God has given to us to walk, what can be more basic as we walk down this path than this? The calling to trust in Him. Not in ourselves, not in all these other things or other people, but in God. We struggle with that, don't we? I know I do, and we're all sinners, we all do. It's a struggle not to look horizontally at these people in our lives and to depend upon them. And it's especially a battle not to look in here and try to find something here to hang on to and to trust in. And that's why, in the course of our lives, we need to have texts like this preached to us regularly. And maybe even, in some form, every single Sunday, trust in the Lord, lean upon Him. In the midst of all the sufferings, all the difficulties of your life, look only to Him. How important that is, that that comes to us regularly. And so let's hear this command under the theme, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Three points under that. First of all, the command, we'll try to understand that. Second, the object, 
And there we'll not only note that the Lord is the one in whom we trust, but we'll see who we are not to trust in and also who this Lord is. And then third, the promise. Trust in the Lord, the command, the object, the promise. What we have here in our text is really a figure. And the figure is a traveler who's walking on a path. And that's indicated with the word ways and paths. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. So you must imagine this way or this path or this road upon which a traveler walks. You are that traveler. And the way or the path upon which you walk is your life with all of its circumstances. We know from Scripture that God is the one who has ordained the entirety of our lives. He's the one who, from before the foundation of the world, has determined what that path is going to look like in every of its aspects. He's the one who has ordained how long that path is going to be, whether it's this long or whether it's miles long, if you will. He has determined everything about it. And isn't that already, beloved, such a comfort? Nothing upon this way or path happens by chance. Nothing just sort of comes. And it's certainly not a surprise to the one who dwells in heaven. He's ordained all of it. The start of this path is your conception and birth in and from the womb of your mother. And the end of the path is your death. And everything that's between the beginning and the end is your life and everything that happens in it. And doesn't this remind us as well that we're just pilgrims and strangers in this earth? That too, the Bible teaches us. We're on a path, but the path doesn't last forever. We're on this earth, maybe for 70, perhaps 80, and if there be strength, 90 years, and then we're gone. Your life and mine is just like the fog that appears in the morning, and then give it a couple of hours, and what is just a thin vapor in the air, it disappears. That's all our life is. And so scripture teaches us We're pilgrims and strangers, and we live in tents, not in brick houses. And even our tents don't dig your stake too deep into the ground because you're just here temporarily. We're on a path as travelers, the path of our life. And each person's way is different. That's at least in part brought out by... The singular in our text. Notice that. How everything's personal and direct, it's singular. 
Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. We're going to bring this out throughout the sermon, but what makes the text so beautiful is how direct and personal it is. It's talking to God's people, of course, but it's talking to you, believer, to the path that you walk on. And part of that is your path is different than the way that God has ordained for the person even sitting next to you. Some are well advanced along the road, if their age indicates something. And for those of you who are younger, if the Lord should give you many more years, you're just at the beginning of the road. Some of us, as to the circumstances on this path, some of us are married and parents, others are not married, and we're not parents. Some of us work inside the home, some of us outside. And then there are things on this way which characterize all of our paths at different seasons. As we travel along, sometimes the way is bathed with sunshine, and we feel as if we're on the mountaintop, those stretches in our lives that are relatively smooth, and that we can say maybe for a few weeks or even for a few months, things have been pretty well. There have been no major storms that have rocked me. But other parts of the road are anything but sunshine. They're places of darkness, rough ways. And you and I all know what that is like. What it is to be in the gloomy valley of some tribulation or affliction in the church But now I'm saying especially in our individual lives, and we as travelers know what it is. Hardly to know what anything looks like around us because there is such a darkness that has settled down. There is much suffering, says the word of God, in the life of the Christian. And along this path there are beasts like the devil and like our own sinful nature and the world that constantly plagues us. Beasts that would seek to chase us and devour us if they could. We're a traveler on a path. And do you see, beloved, this text then is nothing abstract. It's nothing dry. And the question that I have for myself and that I have for you, a question that I want you to keep on thinking throughout the entirety of the message is, What does your path look like right now? And what circumstances have the Lord ordained for you that you are undergoing now? As we travel down this way, the Lord has a calling for us. And the calling is this. In all thy ways, Acknowledge him. And then you go above to verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. That's his calling to you, traveler, and to me. Acknowledge, or maybe I can use a different word, 
knowledge, and trust. Those two things. Those are two elements of faith. That's what the text is teaching there, the doctrine of faith, the activity of faith. And maybe when I say knowledge and confidence or knowledge and trust are the two elements of the activity of faith, you're reminded of what our Heidelberg Catechism says in Lord's Day 7. Question answer 21, what is true faith? It's going to give us two things. True faith is not only a certain knowledge whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed to us in his word, but also an assured confidence which the Holy Ghost works by the gospel in my heart. Knowledge and trust, the activity of faith. That's what that is. Faith is something that has been earned for us by Jesus Christ. We have not put ourselves in a position to merit it or to get it from God. It's a free gift from God, entirely undeserved by us, and something that Jesus has earned for us in all of his lifelong suffering, obedience, and at the cross. One who has already been implanted into Jesus Christ. One who has been united to him and his, has his life flowing through their spiritual veins. Such a one that has been united to him also then by the work of the Holy Spirit knows the Lord and trusts in the Lord. We have before us the doctrine of faith. That first element of the activity of faith is to acknowledge the Lord or know him. That is, that knowledge is, at least in part, intellectual. Rigorously intellectual, something of the mind. The truth is, after all, something that by God's grace can be known A, B, and therefore C. It's, it's logical. It can be like a bunch of puzzle pieces all fit together and harmonized. The, there's something intellectual. And I think that has to be heard today that one of the elements of faith is knowledge and that has to do with the intellect because this has probably been throughout church history, but it's maybe growing today that people say, we don't want so much doctrinal preaching. Give us practical. And maybe in the home, mom and dad, why at devotions are we so doctrinal? Why not more practical? Perhaps the misunderstanding of someone who says that is that they don't know one of the elements of faith is knowledge, and it does have to do with the intellect. We need that doctrine. But that knowledge is more than merely here. It sinks down from here into the heart. Warm, real, spiritual knowledge of the heart. That's what we have here. It's not just knowing the Lord, but knowing the Lord. And it's not merely knowing about Him, but knowing Him. That sort of living, real, warm knowledge is what we have here. So you have that 
element of the activity of faith, but also the second element, trust. Now, there's a connection between those two parts of the text. Acknowledge the Lord, know him, and trust him. And the connection between those two is this. The trust is built upon that knowledge. Let me use a simple illustration. If one of my children is walking on the sidewalk and a car comes alongside of them and it's a stranger, it's someone that they don't know and that man starts to talk to my child, my child does not trust that man After all, he doesn't even know him. Why would he ever trust him? But if dad comes along in the car and pulls there on the sidewalk by the child, child trusts me. After all, he knows me. How much higher of a sense now is that not true in the text? The trust has as its foundation this knowledge Trust is reliance. It's confidence. It's dependence upon the Lord. It's it's resting upon him. And now I'm going to go to another part of the text where it says, lean not unto thine own understanding. We're going to come to that in a few moments, but let's borrow that word lean and help define what trust is. Trust is leaning upon the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Some of you have heard the name Reverend Voss. He was a minister for many years in Hudsonville Church where I grew up, but he served many years before I was born. And he said this about trust, and I think he's talking about trust and its expression in our life. He says, trust. What does that mean? It means that you build your whole life on God. You may not understand his calendar, his order of the day, his crosses and visitations, but when all is dark and there are so many enemies to plague you, when the sun hides behind the clouds and the storms arise in all their destructive forces, then you say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. At such times you take your fond place in the shadow of his cross. At such times you sing, I will hide me in thee until the storm is past. That is trust. As a side note, but an important one, because This knowledge and trust in the Lord is important. God does give means for the strengthening of this knowledge and confidence. He gives chiefly the means of the preaching of the gospel. And by that, the Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts and he further fortifies that faith gives means like the sacraments by which the Holy Spirit confirms our faith and Bible studies which will start again in the fall and 
personal devotions in our lives and as families when we gather around the table and have devotions there. All of these and more are means which the Holy Spirit uses to strengthen this faith. Do you notice how comprehensive this calling really is to know the Lord and trust in him. Listen to the word of God here. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And then in verse 6, in all thy ways acknowledge him. You see, the word of God demands of you and me all of our heart with, with nothing less than that. Your heart is your core. Your heart is the, the very center of what you are. And as the Bible teaches, out of your heart come everything else, all these other things. And it says now about the depths of who you are, your very center right there in the entirety of those depths, all of your heart. Know him and trust in him. Bible doesn't leave any stone unturned here. That's a demanding, all-comprehensive command, isn't it? And not only all your heart, but all your ways. In terms of this path of life that you walk as a stranger and pilgrim in this world, not only from the very beginning of the path all the way to the end of the path, know him and trust him all that way. But at any particular point where you are on the path, maybe I'm right here and I have all of these circumstances and these things going on in my life in terms of all of that too. May there not be any point which we're not trusting in him. Trust him in all thy ways. And it is a command, isn't it? And it's a command that comes from God himself. If Reverend Barnhill said it, you might as well go home. It doesn't mean anything. If it comes from man, pack up. It doesn't have any force. But it comes from the Lord. Trust. Are you? In him. That's the object of this knowledge and confidence. The Lord himself indicates that two times. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And then verse 6. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. He's the one whom we know and in whom we place our trust. He's the object of our faith. Now, in this connection, the text warns against placing our trust anywhere else than the Lord. It does that in part at the end of verse 5 when it says, Lean not unto thine own understanding. Your understanding 
is your ability to make judgments in your life. Your understanding is your ability to discern things, to discern this from that and this thing from that thing, to lean upon one's own understanding then is to make judgments and to discern things apart from the revealed scriptures, to make judgments and discernments apart from God and how he has revealed himself to us in his word. Really, this touches on a rather sore spot, doesn't it? Because I, in my life, like to be far too often rather self-sufficient. I can figure this thing out, especially in this hard part of my life. I can figure it out. I can do it. And there's something about our pride there. I can do it. I'll pick myself up by my own bootstraps. I'll map this out. We'll get through this. A kind of self-sufficiency That's rooted in pride. Here's the thing. When we lean upon our own understanding, we're bound to get hurt, and sometimes severely so. It's like a little stick. You dig a hole two or three inches into the ground, and you take this brittle little frail stick, and you plant it in the ground, and you cover the dirt there, And then you put all of your body weight upon that stick. And now, children, what's going to happen when I do that? Well, of course, I'm going to fall over. That stick is going to snap in two, and I'm going to get hurt. And that's what it's like to lean upon our own understanding. What's our our understanding? We're, We're sinners. We're bound to get hurt. And I wonder... And now I'm talking about the troubles and sorrows that we have in our life because of something we did. We brought ourselves into that. I wonder how many troubles and sorrows are not a part of our life exactly because we were depending and relying upon ourselves to figure things out. How many, how many sins doesn't that lead to? You can think about it in your own life, a whole host of sins, and it was because in my pride I tried to do it. When the text says, lean not upon your own understanding, there's the divine sledgehammer to our self-sufficiency and our pride. That's humbling. Remember, we're making the point that the object of faith is the Lord alone. And in that connection, the text warns against placing our trust in other things, one of which is our own understanding. But the text also gives a warning, and it's really implied, warning against leaning upon other things when it says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and then later in verse 6, in all thy ways acknowledge him. Now we've already seen that's an all-comprehensive calling, but implied there now is a warning against the possibility that in our lives we aren't trusting the Lord with all our heart, and a warning that 
We're not leaning upon him in all of our ways either. And think of how that can be now. The core of what you are, your heart. You've had it, haven't you? That down here, you have sought to trust the Lord, but you've also trusted in other things. And you might say that's a divided heart. Tried to have your foot in both camps, as it were. In the Heidelberg Catechism, faithful summary of the first commandment here has something to say about that too. In question and answer 95, it calls it idolatry. What is idolatry? Idolatry is instead of or besides that one true God who has manifested himself in his word to contrive or have any other object in which men place their trust. It might be that I have, as it were, entirely eclipsed the Lord and I'm entirely trusting one thing, but it might just be, and I find often in my life, that I am seeking to trust him with part of my heart, but another part is far from him and leaning upon other things. And that whole matter of, in all all thy ways acknowledge him. In some parts of my path, I seek to trust him, but in other parts, not. And isn't it so true that there are nooks and crannies of the roads that we travel upon? Just this little path here, this little outlet here. And I say, I'll trust in the Lord on this part of my life, but in this one, other things. That can show up when we're facing hardships especially. And we might claim, I'm depending upon him. But this part of the life with trials, we race to the bottle. Comfort food. Things on the screen that take away reality for a little bit and numb us. We're divided. The text says, over against all of that now, leaning upon one's own understanding and a divided heart and a divided life, trust in him alone. He alone is the object. If leaning upon your own understanding is like going like this upon a brittle branch dug into the ground two or three inches, leaning upon the Lord is to lean upon an oak tree, firm, strong, tall, immovable, that will never break. Who is this Lord? All capital letters, and you know well that that's the name Jehovah. He's the I am that I am. And that name Jehovah is like a, a jewel that you hold in your hand. You ever seen one of those red sort of gemstones? And you hold it and it just sparkles and you look at it and you see the depths of its redness and its riches and you can look at it from this angle and see this beauty and then you turn it a little bit and you see other sparkling aspects of it. That's what this name Jehovah is like. So many riches and so much depth to it. He's Jehovah, covenant name of God, the divine friend of us. 
A friend, beloved, who has determined to do us supreme good. A friend who loves us with an infinitely, strongly, everlastingly wonderful love. You don't want to know how much Jehovah loves us? He manifested it at the cross. This, my people, is how much I love you with a fierce love that I would be willing even to give of my only begotten Son, send Him in the flesh, and give Him to a life of suffering under the weight of your sins, and to go all the way to the cross and be plunged there under the waves of my wrath. For your salvation, that's how much I love you. It's a strong love. And so as we go as travelers along this life, It's hardships and the mysteries that we face and the darkness and those times when it's very hard to interpret why did the Lord bring this into my life? Trust him, divine friend, who loves and who does all for your good. He's Jehovah. And now as we turn that gem a little bit more, you see of that name that it means he's utterly reliable. Faithful to his word and promises, he's changeless, he's infinite in power. And here too, you want to know how reliable I am, the Lord says? This, I'm so trustworthy that I made the promise that I would send Christ and that I would redeem a people, and that I would give them life everlasting. And I did it, exactly according to what I said, precisely according to all of my promises. I sent the Savior to redeem you and to give life to you who were dead. Utterly reliable Jehovah. That is such a comfort. And now I'm thinking as we go as those pilgrims and strangers and the sands of this world are shifting and changing. And we look at people in our lives, even some of the closest people to us, and they can be unreliable. And we face a hundred things that disappoint us and people who hurt us so badly. Lean on him who's perfectly trustworthy. Turn that gem a little bit more. Who is this Jehovah? He's eternal. And he's determined all of your path. We made that point before. You're a traveler on a road and that he has ordained it. But now I bring it in here. What a comfort then that when I don't even know what's going to come the very next second of my life and when I can be so anxious and burdened when I look at the future and I don't know what's to come. I'm but a human. To know he knows and he's mapped it all out and it's all for good. That's all I need to know. Trust him. Trust him. Alone. As we go down this path, We realize, too, that in that name, Jehovah, is salvation. The one 
who has saved us from our sins. And that's what I need to know too because I'm a terrible sinner every single day. I fail. I fail in marriage. I fail in child rearing. I fail other people and I sin against my God. But he who's changeless and infinitely powerful, able to do whatsoever he is determined, sent Christ to die on the cross. Trust in him. Trust in his son, and look. That's how faith can be described to look. That finished work at Calvary where all your guilt has been blotted out. There's a wonderful promise at the end. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and He shall direct thy paths. It's in the way of acknowledging and trusting in him that he directs your paths. That's God's promise, and he never lets his promises fail. Now, of course, it is true. He always directs our paths. He always does that. But... It's in the way of trusting in him that we're conscious of that. You see, we're not always conscious of that like we should be. He'll direct your path. He'll guide you down that. Never leaving you. Never forsaking you. But always leading when there are thorns, when there's sunshine, when there's darkness, when there are beasts, always guiding us through all those things. And the word here literally is straighten. He will make your paths straight. How often are our paths, from our point of view, crooked? Does it make sense why the Lord would send this? It seems senseless. And maybe even we challenge the Lord in our sin. Can this actually be for my good? I just don't see how this could be. He'll straighten your path in this sense. He will make plain to you. He will make you conscious of the fact that it's a good path and that he has a purpose for your suffering. And he will make plain to you that it's a path that ends in glory. This path of suffering? Yes. Where there is no more in glory of those beasts. Where there is no more weary traveling in this pilgrimage and no more sin or suffering. But to rest forever in the dwelling place of God. To be face to face with Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. And to dwell among the glories that abide forever and ever. God will grant you, people of God, the grace to walk this path he has set before you. Trust him with all your heart, Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall 
direct thy paths. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we thank thee for these comforting truths. And we pray that by the mighty working of thy grace and spirit, thou wilt enable us to trust in thee, grow in our knowledge of thee, grow in our trust of thee every day. And Father, when we have leaned upon our own understanding, then we're thankful for that sacrifice of thy son Jesus Christ upon the cross for our sins. Strengthen us to trust in that one sacrifice completed at Calvary. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.